coming up in today's episode. So if we can fix some of those other external elements, it often opens the door for us to have that increased level of capacity to deal with the teenager and just be supportive, to be loving and kind and forgiving and patient in the face of someone who in that moment probably doesn't deserve it. (laughs) And we don't do it because they're acting in a way that deserves it right now. We do it because we love them and we want to support them and we care about them. And even though they're being quite hurtful and unreasonable in the moment, parents need to find a way to be bigger, calmer, kinder and wiser than their kids. Hello and welcome to the Conflict Skills Podcast. I'm your host, professional mediator Simon Good. In today's episode of the podcast, I'm going to be talking about conflict with teenagers, probably one of the most challenging types of conflict for a lot of people to deal with. I'll be focusing mainly on if you're a parent or a carer, and so, you know, that's the relationship, I guess, that we're managing here. But there's similar, I guess, principles or approaches could be used if you're a teacher or somebody else dealing with teenagers in your life as well. The reason that this topic is particularly challenging, I think, is because you are dealing with someone who is incredibly erratic, illogical a lot of the time, hyper-vigilant to any sense of criticism or shame or embarrassment and that kind of thing, very heightened self-consciousness, very emotional. A lot of teenagers are driven by the subconscious parts of their brain, the limbic system, etc. They're often reacting and probably not properly thinking through the consequences of their behaviour. So it makes sense why all of these different kinds of situations of dealing with teenagers can be really hard to navigate. It's easy to get sucked into a negative spiral pattern. It's easy to react when someone's being unfair or unreasonable. And so I suppose what I'll talk about in the podcast today is finding a way to remain reasonable, even in the face of an unreasonable situation, and to respond at least as much as possible rather than reacting. There's four different elements that I'll talk about in the episode today. Empathy, how we can give someone a sense of feeling heard, even if we disagree. Clarifying expectations, I think that's often the foundation for trust to be built or or rebuilt if that was the case after something's happened. How we can apply a coaching framework or coaching approach in terms of giving someone support without coming in as rescuer. And then underneath all of that, I think, is actually an element of self-care. What a lot of people don't focus on when they're dealing with teenagers is the negative impact on themselves, the frustration and resentment and hurt that can build up. And if you're not actively looking after yourself, then you won't be in as capable a position to remain calm when the other person's becoming escalated. You won't be able to think as clearly, you'll take things more personally, and you'll get be more likely to get sucked into short-term goals, like you know, not wanting the other person to get away with saying that thing to you, being disrespectful, when actually you've got a bigger goal in mind, like not waking up the other kids in the house who are sleeping or whatever else it might be. Even longer term than that, like I want them to remember me as supportive and reasonable and so me yelling and screaming at them in their face might not necessarily be in alignment with that goal. So there's four elements, empathy, expectations, coaching and self-care. But if I get into that first topic though of empathy, just to mention that if you'd like to ask a question or if you've got a situation or a topic that you'd like me to discuss in a future episode of the podcast, you can email podcast at simongood.com. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd be willing to leave us a positive review and if you're not subscribed to the podcast, please consider pressing subscribe. It really helps in terms of the visibility of all the algorithms, et cetera, these days. That would be something that's really helpful for me, but of course it would mean that you're not missing any future episodes of the podcast as well. So let's get into that first topic. The first element that's really essential when dealing with teenagers is demonstrating empathy. So there's two parts to empathy, at least in the way that I talk about it in conflict resolution training workshops. 
One is the internal process, your ability to imagine or understand what's going on in someone else's head, what they're wanting, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, and how that's contributing to what they're doing. So it's like you can feel empathy, you can gain empathy. There's a level of empathy that you might be holding. But what I'm talking about here is demonstrating empathy. How can we give the teenager that we're dealing with the sense that, at least to some extent, that we get where they're coming from? We don't need to give a sense that we agree. We don't need to give a sense that they're being reasonable or it's fair or that they're correct to think the way that they're thinking. It's really just connecting with where they're at. It sounds like for you, that's a really tough spot to be. It sounds like when your friend is doing that to you, that puts you in a really difficult situation. It sounds like although you agreed at the time to make sure that you were home by a particular time, that you lost track of it. And I mean, that's understandable. You're at a party. Sounds like there's a pretty chaotic environment to be in. Uh, at the same time, when you're late, it makes it difficult for me then to trust you next time you're asking to stay out with your friends. So when we're raising an issue for the first time, one thing I often talk about is that it's important to add an element of curiosity. So instead of saying something like, I told you to be home before 11 and you came in after midnight, it's not good enough. I can't believe you would do that to me. Don't you know how worried I was? Like all of the focus here is on our own emotional state, our own feelings and what that was all like for us. Whereas if we're going to address that same issue using empathy, we might say something like, look, I asked you to make sure that you were home before 11. Last night, it sounded like you actually came in after midnight. Before I decide how to respond, I just wanted to check with you what happened. So we give them a chance to explain their side of the story before we jump to assumptions, to um I guess, making decisions, we're inviting them to give their input. The other part of it is summarizing it, acknowledging it. Okay, so it sounds like you had planned to be home on time. And the challenge for you is that when it was time to go, Sarah said that she wanted to stay for another 30 minutes. One thing led to another. And before you know it, it had been an extra hour. Have I got that right? So we can still decide to be firm. We can punish them if needed, put in some kind of negative consequence. We can be assertive. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be flexible. But when the other person feels like we've understood what they've said, that we can kind of get where they're coming from, it means that there's a significantly reduced chance of defensiveness and resistance. So they're not likely to you know, get in a debate with us as easily because we've listened to them. We understand their perspective. It also means that there's a higher chance of buy-in or engagement with whatever we ask them to do as a result. So you might say something like, look, the challenge for me is that if I'm I need to be able to trust you if I'm going to be able to increase the freedom that you've got. I'm happy to talk about extending your curfews to a later time, but one thing that I need is that you're sticking to the times that we agree. So we've both got a part to play in this. You know, How does that sit with you? What do you think is reasonable? Is there anything that might get in the way of what I've asked you to do? Really asking the right questions like, what's that like for you? What do you think would work? How does that sit with you? How's that played out? What happened there? What do you think would help moving forward? The second area that's really essential to build into communication with teenagers is clarifying expectations. Clear expectations are really the foundation for trust to be built or to be rebuilt if it's been eroded over time. It's often a really challenging topic to discuss in mediation when people don't trust each other. Even when I've done family mediations with parents and teenagers, there's often a very low level of trust, (laughs) often both ways, (laughs) and it's often quite valid. (laughs) It's justified given the fact that trust has been uh, broken a number of times in the past. And it's really difficult to wave a magic wand and fix a lack of trust. 
you can't just magically decide to trust someone and even asking someone to trust me. What I'm really asking is that you'll give me the benefit of the doubt or give me a chance to prove myself, that kind of thing. So very clear expectations are really essential for you and the teenager that you're dealing with to have a foundation of trust to work from. So instead of saying something like, I can't believe you ate that food in the fridge. What the hell is the matter with you? Don't you know that we've got people coming over on the weekend? The better way to deal with that would have been to clarify those expectations ahead of time. Hey, can I talk with you for a second? Mate, I just want to let you know that that food in the fridge is for the barbecue on the weekend. If you want snacks, you can get something out of the cupboard, but please don't eat what's in the fridge. Is that okay? Does that make sense? Are there any issues with that? Are you going to need any food aside from what's in the cupboard there? Do you want to come down and me show you what is meant to be saved, etc.? Really clarifying, this is what I expect from you. How does that sit with you? I'm happy for you to go to that party on Saturday, but I'd like to discuss the curfews. For me, I'd like you to be home by 10.30, but how does that sit with you? What are the arrangements with your friends and their parents? It sounds like I am asking you to be home earlier than others then. Look, in this case, it is something that's important to me, given that you've been late the last two times. I don't want to stop you going to the party, but if I'm to agree to that, I need you to be home by 10.30. If you'd like, we can discuss a later curfew next time round, assuming that you're able to be back by 10.30. How does that sit with you? Do you need any type of reminder from me? Do you want to set an alarm on your phone? What, what do you think you need to do to make sure that you're back on time? So very clearly clarifying those expectations, depending on the situation, if they've broken your trust a number of times, you might need to talk about a consequence if they don't do it. Hey, I just want to be transparent with you that if you're not home by 10.30, it'll actually mean that we need to say no to parties for the next couple of weeks. I know you're not wanting to miss out and that's not something you want to happen. So it's really important to make sure that you're back on time like I'm asking you to be. So it's almost like we are making this threat in a transparent way, saying to them, look, if you don't do what I ask, this is what the consequence would be. We don't need to be a jerk about it. <laughs> I don't want it to come across as harsh. I don't want them to give to have a sense that like I'm vindictive, I'm punishing them because I want to get back at them or something like that. It's just a very candid, matter-of-fact conversation to clarify expectations. And I'm wanting as much as possible to ask questions to make sure that there's no room for misunderstanding, there's no additional information that's needed, both in a practical sense, maybe they are unsure about something, but I also want to emphasize that this is important. And I want to check with you that there's nothing that's unclear because I'm expecting you to follow what I'm asking you to follow. The third tip or piece of advice that I often include in dealing with teenagers is the power of coaching. A mistake that a lot of parents make is that they give too much advice. Their teenager talks about conflict that they're dealing with or a problem that came up doing what their parents had asked them to do. And the parents jump in straight away with, you should have done this. You need to think about this. You need to focus on this. And as soon as we come in with advice, like, well, you just need to tell your friends that you need to be home and ask them to drive you home like we've agreed to. You know, you're demanding them to do something. You're telling them that they should do something. It immediately invites the teenager that you're dealing with to argue the flip side of the coin. Then all of a sudden you're inviting them to get in a debate about why they couldn't do the thing that you've asked them to do. Well, I couldn't find them. What was I meant to do? Well, you should have looked for them. You sh I, I didn't know what to do. Don't you know how many people's at this party? It's like, it, it, you want this, I want this, you want this, I want this, you think this, I want this, you think this, I want this. A really helpful way of being supportive but avoiding giving too much advice is asking questions. Look, it sounds like it was really difficult for you to find them at the party. How else could you have managed that? Next time around, if you're in a similar kind of situation, what do you think would work next time? 
looking back like an hour before that, what could you have done to make sure that, you know, you avoided this situation from happening? I'm encouraging them to come up with the solution rather than me jumping in with the the answer, the way out, what they should do. Of course, if I'm the one telling them how to solve this problem, next time they're encountering a similar problem, they're going to come to me to solve it or they just won't be able to. Whereas if I use a coaching approach of what do you think might work? How could you figure this out? It not only helps them deal with this issue that they're navigating at the moment, but it empowers them to manage future situations as well. It sounds like your friend Vicky has a lot going on right now. Her parents' divorce sounds really tense and sounds like she's coming to you for a lot of help at the moment. For you, it sounds like you're in a tough spot because you're wanting to be supportive. I mean, she's one of your best friends. At the same time, you've got exams coming up and you need to focus on your study. If you decided to suggest that Vicky gets some support from someone who's not you, what options do you think she might have? What, what comes to mind? What do you think might work for putting some boundaries in place with Vicky? Is there anything that I can do? When else have you had to deal with these kind of situations previously? What did you find work back then? So instead of us saying to him, well, you just need to tell Vicky that you need to study. And then, you know, our son or daughter's saying to us, well, you know, what's she meant to do then? Don't you know that she's suicidal or whatever it is? We ask coaching questions to say to them, well, what's a balance here for you? How do you think you can navigate this? What do you think might work? If they're angry at us, you know, we're demanding that they do schoolwork or something like that, we might empathize and say, look, I know you've got a lot going on at the moment. It sounds like school's a bit overwhelming. No wonder you're experiencing a lot of pressure with all the exams and you're trying to find the right balance of socializing and spending time with your friends, relaxing and recovering and recharging and looking after yourself, but making sure that you don't fall behind with the schoolwork. So again, instead of us coming in and saying, you need to do this, we might say something like, what do you think would help for you to keep your head above water over the next few weeks? Or what would a schedule look like where there's balance? You can make sure that you're studying as much as you need to to get the grades that you're looking for in the exams, but making sure that you're not losing connection with your friends and you know maybe there's particular events or times when you'd like to be included and hanging out with them and there's other things that are not as important and maybe there's opportunities there to study more. What do you think might work? So we collaborate with them to come up with the plan rather than us getting sucked into that rescuer mode. The final element and probably the most important part of dealing with conflict with teenagers is self-care. What I remind people again and again is that this is an opportunity to be a role model. By the way that you respond to this situation, you're teaching your child a lot about conflict and about relationships. And what would you like that to be? If you're a role model here, what kind of principles or strengths do you want to demonstrate so that they can pick them up from you and mirror you and gain them for themselves? Which parts of how your own parents dealt with conflict do you want to keep? And which parts of their parenting would you prefer not to be re- not to be repeating? How would you like to be able to deal with these heightened situations moving forward? A lot of our capacity to deal with someone who's being unreasonable and teenagers have a really unique ability, I think, to push our buttons and get under our skin. It's actually not just to do with that conversation that you're having with them. It's about the next 30 minutes afterwards. What do you do? Finding someone to talk to, doing some exercise and dealing with the buildup of adrenaline, making sure that you're getting enough sleep, scheduling morning so that you've got enough time to get everything done. And instead of every single day before school ending up in a screaming match and yelling with your kid to get ready, maybe it's just better to wake them up 30 minutes earlier or to pack lunches the morning before or to give them a reward if they're able to get ready on time five days in a row. Maybe they get some extra screen time or whatever it is on the weekend. 
So thinking about your own self-care will be a really essential element of being able to strategically respond. Spending time with the people that fill you up, uh, recovering after a conflict so that you're not immediately going into another situation, and avoiding the cumulative impact of stress. If you've had a really stressful, tense day at work, then you're not going to be thinking clearly. You'll be more likely to react. And that's not an ideal situation to be dealing with a teenager who's doing their best to push your buttons. So taking 15 minutes to do a quick meditation or calm yourself down, journal, writing in your diary about how stressful the day's been, um, just spending a minute to walk around the block before you go inside and begin the conversation, that will all be really essential. So don't forget self-care. I think a lot of the time, just us having more capacity not to, res- not to react when the other person's being unreasonable is enough to short-circuit. And if we do react, if we get sucked into drama, if we respond in kind, yelling at the person who's yelling at us, this negative spiral starts to develop and then they remember you as being unreasonable and erratic and over the top and critical or whatever else it might be, unfair, uh, which means that they're not as likely to respond when we reach out the olive branch and try and repair the relationship. They still act like they've got a chip on their shoulder and then there's a point where you might start to think, well, what's the point anyway? This person's just completely unreasonable. And then you sit there isolated from one another, holding on to your resentment and hurt. I can remember I read a phrase like, a lot of people hold on to their hurt like a wounded bird clutched tightly to their chest. And I think we're much likely to deal with that when we're missing something, when we haven't had enough sleep, when we're feeling like we don't have enough support ourselves, when everything in our own life feels like chaos. And so if we can fix some of those other external elements, it often opens the door for us to have that increased level of capacity to deal with the teenager and just be supportive, to be loving and kind and forgiving and patient in the face of someone who in that moment probably doesn't deserve it. (laughs) And we don't do it because they're acting in a way that deserves it right now. We do it because we love them and we want to support them and we care about them. And even though they're being quite hurtful and unreasonable in the moment, parents need to find a way to be bigger, calmer, kinder and wiser than their kids. And an essential element of that will be making sure that you fill yourself up when things are draining or you're finding things to be particularly tricky. So I hope that those ideas are helpful for you and that you might find some opportunities to build in empathy, to show the other person that you understand where they're coming from, to clarify expectations, to use that coaching approach of what do you think would work, how can you figure this out, and then looking after yourself when the other person's hurting your feelings and pushing your buttons. Uh, My expectation is that if you're able to incorporate these elements into your communication and your relationship there, that it would significantly improve the conflict that you're dealing with making things not just better for you, but also hopefully supporting the teenager in a more effective way as well. Thank you so much for listening. If you've got a question or feedback about the podcast, again, you can email podcast at simongood.com. Otherwise, let's leave it there. All the best.